No discussion of themes would be complete without some discussion of artificial intelligence. One of the most exciting technologies to come on the scene in, in a long time, probably since the internet. Financial thought leader and strategist Jason Trenert shares his investment list on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Bill Miller, Research Affiliates, Strategus Asset Management, Women Investing in Security and Education, and Matthews Asia. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Over the last two years, we've experienced a sea change in financial conditions. Much higher inflation, rapidly rising interest rates, unprecedented levels of fiscal and monetary stimulus, extreme market swings from huge declines to impressive rallies in both stocks and bonds. It's also been an era of geopolitical turmoil with two wars, one in Ukraine, the other in Israel and surrounding areas. And it promises to be one of political uncertainty with nearly 80% of the world's market capitalization, the U.S. being the largest, facing national elections this year. Well, what does all of this mean for us as investors? Every year at this time, I place a call to a leading investment strategist with a big-picture view who has joined us on WealthTrack ever since our beginning in 2005. He is Jason Trenert, a financial thought leader whose research pieces and articles on markets and the economy are read by leading institutional investors and corporate executives around the world. Trenert is co-founder, chairman, CEO, and chief investment strategist of Strategus Research Partners, a leading provider of economic, market, and policy research. Strategus is a WealthTrack sponsor. I asked Trenner to give us a status report on the state of the economy and markets. The economy first. How healthy is it? Well, I would say it's pretty healthy. The, the good news is that we're very much close to full employment in the United States. The unemployment rate is below 4%, at 3.7%. Uh, and inflation is starting to uh, come down, too. So that's, that, that's good news. Uh, the bad news is that uh, we've really tried to pull every trick in the book from uh, the central bank and the administration level to, to achieve that. And the only thing that worries us a bit about that is that there may be long-term unintended consequences for running budget deficits uh, of this magnitude. But for as it stands right now, I would say the economy is in good shape. The Fed doesn't seem to be concerned, right, about the budget deficit, or at least, you know, inflation's coming down. Uh, the Fed has signaled that it's, you know, possibly we could have three interest rate cuts of 25 basis points each this year. So why aren't they concerned? I'm not quite sure why they aren't concerned, because there is a certain sense in which the, the Federal Reserve is fighting the federal government to bring inflation down. And uh, about 65% of the federal budget is indexed to inflation itself. So Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits. So I think the Fed should be concerned uh, if they're not concerned. Uh, and increasingly, the interest expense on our debt uh, is skyrocketing because the Fed is no longer buying securities. So th that's another thing I think the Fed should be concerned about. There, there is a chance uh, that uh, our interest expense crowds out other parts of the budget. Uh, by this time next year, interest expense will be greater than our entire defense budget in the United States. And so it, it's, it's hard to get long-term control over inflation when you're spending uh, at, at that clip. Having said that, interest rates are relatively high relative to the rate of inflation. 
And so the Fed may feel as if it has a little room uh, to ease here to make sure the pain isn't too great. Um, I would be very surprised, and I would think it would be borderline reckless, if the Fed actually uh, eased six times as the market is expecting. We dodged a bullet uh, in 2023, which was a recession, uh, which many economists had predicted would happen after the Fed's dramatic and rapid rise in interest rates that we saw. Are we going to dodge that bullet again, do you think, this year? I, I think there's a decent chance uh, we, we dodge it uh, again, partly because it's an election year. And if there was a strong tendency to try to avoid a recession at all costs last year in terms of deficit spending uh, or monetary policy, there'll be an even stronger tendency uh, to do that uh, this year. Having said that, the, the lags associated with monetary policy tend to be long and variable. Uh, corporate profits are under pressure. Uh, and so uh, I'm not sure we're completely out of the woods, but uh, history would tell you that it, it's, it's pretty unlikely to get rece a recession in an election year. Recession or no? How strong growth? What, what's, what's your estimate? So we're thinking that uh, the chance of recession are elevated relative to a typical year, and that's because the yield curve is still inverted. There, there's still, um, again, the lagged effects of, of uh, tightening uh, as well as pressure on corporate profits. Having said that, our best guess is that for the year, uh, real GDP growth will be around 2% with inflation somewhere between 25 to 3% by the end of the year. The risk really, in our opinion, is that there may be uh, another wave of inflation as we get uh, into the end of this year and into 2025. Uh, but we'll wait and see how that works out. But again, it's very difficult to control inflation when there's really no fiscal responsibility whatsoever in Washington, D.C. What should we be watching to, to get an indication of, of how the economy is trending? Is there one key indicator, Jason? The most important indicator, just in terms of the health of the consumer, which is uh, about 70% of the economy, I would believe would be unemployment claims. Uh, it's just a, a number uh, of people that are um, applying for initial unemployment insurance each week. It's about 200,000, which is about where it was 50 years ago when the labor force was, uh, was uh, about half the size as it is right now. So economy's in pretty good shape and Americans they're, they're not particularly great savers, uh, but we are good spenders, and uh, we're especially good spenders when we have jobs. So uh, as long as the employment situation stays healthy, it seems to me the economy will, will likely avoid a recession in 2024. I'm feeling more comfortable listening to you about the outlook for the economy um, uh, this year. But what about the markets? I mean, what, what's your assessment of, of the, the market valuations uh, and sentiment, especially after kind of a rip-roaring fourth quarter uh, in the markets of uh, 2023? I do think investors should continue to be somewhat cautious uh, on the markets or at least mod uh, moderate their expectations in terms of returns because uh, the S&P 500, uh, what professionals look at when they look at the market is trading at about 20 times earnings when the long-term average is about 16. Uh, and that's with 10-year treasury yields of about four. Um, I, there is a chance simply because of the amount of issuance, simply because the amount of debt the federal government has to issue that, that long-term interest rates could drift higher uh, this year. So in my opinion, it's, it's going to be very difficult to get what we call multiple expansion or to get uh, returns in excess uh, that of corporate profits. 
Our expectation is that corporate profits will be up five or six percent this year, and that would be my guess for a market return for 2024. So those higher interest rates are competition then for the for the for the stock market because the stock market is considered to be the risk asset and the treasuries right. are risk free. Not quite, but <laughs> that's, yeah, but not, that's but, kind of the concept. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and of course we've been all, anyone who's been a saver has really been in the wilderness from 2009 through 2021. The most, most everyone got zero on their savings. And, and so um, this is pretty heady stuff. If you can get 5% uh, in a CD or 5% in, in very short-term treasury debt, um, that's, that's pretty strong competition uh, for, for stocks, uh, right? You can buy, as you said, the risk-free asset, quote unquote, uh, at 5% as opposed to taking your chances in the stock market. So that will continue to be some, some competition for stocks. So I learned early on in my career on Wall Street, which is where I was way back then, uh, you know, the, the adage, don't fight the Fed. Uh, but here we are, you know, with the, the Fed uh, basically signaling that they're going to cut rates uh, maybe three times this year. And so wouldn't that tell an investor that, hey, don't fight the Fed, they're going to be easing, so uh, stocks should do well? What we look at is really the, what we call the real rate, the real okay. Fed funds rate, which is the Fed funds rate minus the inflation rate. And, and right. Uh, so right now inflation's about, well, let's say about three, and the Fed funds rate is about five and a half. So that's pretty tight. Uh, if the Fed were to tighten, to ease three times, I, I would say that's still a, a pretty robust Fed funds rate. It's certainly not easy monetary conditions. So I think people have to look at uh, Fed tightening and the uh, Fed rates really in context of the inflation rate. And that is not, in my opinion, a, a big tailwind that with only three cuts given where inflation is would not be a big tailwind for equity returns in 2024. If we were to get six cuts as the market is expecting, uh, frankly, I think that could, believe it or not, I think that could actually spell trouble for the equity markets because it is, it's virtually impossible to assume that could have, see that happening without a recession or a major financial um, crisis uh, prompting the Fed to ease six times. So it, it's extremely unlikely, in my opinion, the Fed will ease six times unless there's a financial crisis or significant economic hardship. The S&P has increased in every presidential election year since 1944, 16 out of 16. Uh, so at least I guess I shouldn't be worrying about a market decline this year. I would say it's unlikely, Consuelo, uh, and, and this is something that's consistent with uh, the, what we call the presidential election cycle. And what you find, generally speaking, is that presidents tend to make the harder decisions in the first two years of their presidency and then make uh, the easier decisions, uh, grease the skids for their reelection in the second two years of their presidency. The third year of a presidential election cycle, which was last year, is the best year. Um, the second best year is the fourth year, which is which would be 2024. Uh, but the worst is the first, and uh, the third is the best. You know, big major investment things, and you've got several uh, for 2024. What do you want to start with? Which one? Well, I think the one I would want to start with most is deglobalization, um, and I think uh, which means that which really refers to the idea that. Since the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, and since China joined the WTO in 2001, 
The global economy has benefited greatly from a decline in inflation uh, due to very long supply chains. Unfortunately, as it uh, stands now, there's only one thing I can think of that Republicans and Democrats really agree on, and that is that China is seen as a threat at best, uh, an enemy at worst. And that means that there's a very strong tendency among a lot of global economic players to do more manufacturing closer to home. Uh, that increases costs. Uh, that is a, a long-term uh, uh, tailwind for higher inflationary pressures. And it's something that probably is going to lead to greater defense spending globally uh, and greater pressure on budgets globally uh, than what we've seen in a long time. The, the peace dividend that we, we so generously received in the 1990s, in my opinion, um, is over. Uh, we're going to be going the other way. How does one invest in that as a theme? We're focusing on defense companies, expecting global defense uh, spending to increase uh, markedly. We're also uh, focusing on energy companies uh, and alternative energy companies like uranium, uh, because we're generally of the view that uh, it's going to be more expensive to ship uh, fossil fuels, certainly around the world. Uh, and so those things, in our opinion, should lift prices of, of, uh, of the commodity and benefit uh, the companies associated with them. But that's the way we're playing it uh, as it stands now. Artificial intelligence. Obviously, uh, no discussion of themes would be complete without some discussion of artificial intelligence. One of the most exciting technologies to come on the scene in, in a long time, probably since the internet. Um, certainly greater than the metaverse um, or, you know, some of the other things that have been uh, put out there over the last couple of years. Um, I do think it's, it, it is important to remember that um, some of these things take time, uh, that, that uh, the, the technology is relatively new and it may take some time for it to get into uh, business operations and actually provide the productivity that we're, we're seeing. Having said that, there is no company, no big public company that I know of that isn't investing some of its resources uh, in artificial intelligence to see the ways in which they can improve their productivity and their profit margins. The, the best pure plays probably are Google, uh, Microsoft, NVIDIA uh, would be companies that would be the biggest beneficiaries from this movement. Uh, and I would suspect that even though they may be a little expensive, th those companies may continue to outperform as a result. The hard part about this uh, technology is that it, it's possible that it could benefit every company uh, in the right. S&P 500, but it's, it's not so easy to determine which companies are, are going to benefit uh, the most. I will say that uh, any company that is accumulating a lot of data, data on their consumers uh, is probably going to have a much easier time uh, in improving their profit margins than companies that are just focused on, let's say, the point of sale. Another major investment theme of yours is you're anticipating the dollar will weaken. Why is that, number one, and, and how significant is that? We've heard about the, the so-called bond market vigilantes. Uh, there was some moves, I don't want to get too technical, but there were some moves on the part of the Treasury Department last year to bring long-term interest rates down, in my opinion, somewhat artificially. But you can't, you know, federal government can't control everything. And, and one of the hardest markets to control would be the currency market, simply because it's the largest. Um, so if we're going to be intent on, on funding ourselves short with short-term paper and also running very large budget deficits, it seems to me that the dollar should weaken uh, this year. And the, the currency market may be the only 
market that imposes some discipline, perhaps, uh, on the federal government. But as it stands now, it seems to me the dollar is likely to weaken in 2024. Got it. So what are the investment beneficiaries of a weaker dollar? The biggest uh, investment beneficiaries would largely be multinational corporations, maybe particularly in the technology sector. Uh, technology sector has the greatest uh, proportion of its sales that go abroad, uh, can benefit from a weaker dollar. Uh, so again, technology, industrials companies, in my opinion, would be probably the biggest beneficiaries. You know, you're known as a financial thought leader and you uh, write these really interesting essays uh, for strategic clients and also op-ed editorials uh, for the Wall Street Journal and other publications. So uh, a couple of the essays that I've noticed that I thought were really interesting in the last year is one of them was that um, it's time for an allocation to gold. Is it still a time for allocation to gold or why is it a time for allocation to gold? Yeah, no, it's it's rare for us to talk about gold. Uh, gold, uh, as you know, has been described as a barbarous relic. Uh, it it provides no yield. It it costs money to store, but I do think it would be a beneficiary if the dollar were to weaken. And I think just given to, given the extent to which there's very little fiscal responsibility around the world, that that uh, it's almost a race to the bottom as far as fiat currencies. There may be a sense in which many investors, not just in the United States, but globally, seek to own hard assets. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, it would, it's not a bad idea to have at least some small exposure to gold until and unless there is some sign in Washington, D.C. that we're going to get our fiscal house in order. So have you actually uh, purchased some gold in your personal portfolio? I, I personally own some physical gold. And then in SAMT, our ETF, we, we have an exposure to a gold ETF. So an ETF that holds uh, physical gold. So yes, we are invested there. Forgive me for delving into your personal portfolio, but have you actually you know, purchased gold bullion bars or gold coins? Coins. Or coins. coins. I've purchased some gold coins. Gold has a 5,000-year history. Uh, of being a store of, of wealth. It's not particularly practical in terms of transactions. Uh, of course, people in other countries uh, have, feel no, no issue in owning gold because no. they've had such strong experiences with higher inflation. It's less obvious here when we possess the reserve currency. But having said that, we seem to be doing a lot of things to try to, um, to, try to shed that, um, that, uh, that distinction. That's, it's unlikely to happen anytime soon, but it, it, I do think gold should, should benefit from a weaker dollar. One of the other interesting uh, statements that you made in, in the last year was that China is uninvestable, which is a, a huge statement to make from uh, an investor point of view. Do you still feel that way? And, and, and why did you decide that China really is uninvestable? Well, I think, as we t discussed before, there are very few things that Republicans and Democrats can agree upon. One of them is that uh, certainly in the aftermath of, of COVID, of the pandemic, that China is seen as a threat and China is seen as a country that does not have America's uh, best interests in mind. Uh, and um, it is a country that has a rather loose interpretation of private property rights and intellectual property rights. And so one really has to wonder when you're buying a stock, you're, you are buying a, a share of a company. 
uh, and one has to wonder how much your, your property rights would be respected if something went the wrong way. And I think that uh, more and more people are, are starting to see that. It could be good for a speculation, it could be good for a trade, but I would be careful for the long, if the long-term investor, I would be careful about uh, buying too many companies in China. Uh, perhaps you can buy some companies in the United States to, to play China's growth. Uh, but I, in my opinion, it's, it's better to stay away from the, the local Chinese companies. One of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is the concentration uh, in the market among the, you know, the magnificent seven, the uh, U.S. T uh, growth tech stocks that are comprised about 30 percent of the S&P 500 at this point. And it, it's never when it's a, a concern to have that much concentration. It also raises another uh, point, which is that uh, in index funds and the most popular ones uh, by far are the S&P 500 index funds. That kind of concentration uh, is a concern, right? It is. I mean, I think, you know, index funds were originally created to give uh, the average investor uh, exposure to a diversified group of stocks. So in the S&P 500, the most popular uh, index fund, uh, you're, getting, you're buying a piece of 500 companies. As it stands now, though, as you pointed out, seven of those companies comprise 30% of the market cap of that entire index. Ironically, a mutual fund manager would not legally be able to have that kind of concentration and still be able to call themselves a diversified portfolio. So for the individual investors, I would just say be careful uh, in terms of your, uh, your passive investments, your index investments. There's probably more risk in, there, there is more risk, concentration risk in those portfolios today than there's ever been before. And Jason, we always ask every guest on WealthTrack for their uh, recommendation for a long-term diversified portfolio for their one recommendation. What would yours be? Mine would be uh, a company called Cameco uh, CCJ. Uh, it is the world's uh, biggest uh, producer and refiner of uranium. Uh, and this is largely, this partly goes to the deglobalization theme, but it partly goes to the idea that the, as we seek as a globe to diversify ourselves away from fossil fuels, there have to be other alternatives. Uh, in my opinion, nuclear will be seen as a compromise, perhaps, between a full transition to, let's say, wind and solar, which, have, um, w which are very expensive and are not necessarily ready for prime time, and, uh, and fossil fuels, crude oil, natural gas uh, it, it itself. So CCJ is, a, is pretty much the, the best pure play on uranium and uh, the future of nuclear power that we can think of. The stock's been up a lot uh, and it's not cheap, but we think the growth prospects are quite good. And one final question, we've talked a lot about the, uh, the issues that concern you in the economy uh, and the markets, but what, what's most encouraging from your perspective uh, as, a, as an investor? The United States is an extraordinarily special country. Um, it, not only do are we awash in our own natural resources, which is something that other large economies can't boast, we also have the most innovative companies in the world. Uh, there is no question about that. Uh, and then we also have very deep financial markets. Um, and so, frankly, that, that is a very powerful combination and it's part of the reason why U.S. stocks trade at a premium to stocks virtually anywhere else uh, in the world. Um, the hope uh, is that um, our own elected officials don't get in the way of those blessings that we have here. 
But those are three things that I would say for the longer term investor, as long as we don't go out of our way to hurt ourselves, uh, uh, bode well for investors in the United States. All right. Amen to that. Jason Trenner, thanks so much for joining us again on WealthTrack. Thank you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is review and rebalance your portfolio. It's an annual ritual for most investors. Well, this year, there are some obvious areas to rebalance after 2023's performance. One is the group of giant tech stocks dubbed the Magnificent Seven. In case you were on another planet, they are Apple, Alphabet, parent of Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, formerly Facebook, Tesla and NVIDIA. Those seven contributed about 75% of the S&P 500's 2023 gains, now comprise about 30% of the S&P 500's market value, yet only 20% of the index's forecasted earnings. Something does seem a bit out of whack. It might be time to trim positions and reallocate funds to areas of the market that have lagged these dominant growth stocks, such as value stocks, smaller company stocks, and international shares. In fixed income, after 2022's historic sell-off in bonds, prices stabilized last year with yields higher than they have been in a couple of decades. Bond bulls say bonds are back, yields are certainly much more attractive, and it might be time to buy some and lock in yields at these levels. This review and rebalance exercise can be as basic as this or much more detailed. It's up to you, but this is a good time and place to start. Well, next week on WealthTrack, temper your optimism, that is the message noted global value investor Matt McLennan is giving investors. He's concerned about multiple risks facing the markets. He'll tell us what they are. In this week's extra feature, Jason Trennett looks at the rise of populism around the world and why it matters. While you're online, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Enjoy your weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.